Over the past seven years, Getting Smart has been documenting the rise of artificial intelligence and its impacts on teaching, leading, and learning. We've put together a new resource combining many of our past publications, blogs, podcasts, and events, so we can better keep our finger on the pulse of the rapid advancement of this technology. Check out this new resource for a great understanding of where AI has been, how it's already impacting the classroom, and what's coming soon. We'll be updating it every couple of weeks as well, so be sure to check out the editor's note on the first page to see what new products, policies, or advancements have occurred. You can check it out at gettingsmart.com slash artificial intelligence, or you can find it at the link in the show notes. We hope you enjoy this episode. Scott, on a good day in Odessa, how does ed tech play a role in learning? Oh, I, I, the first thing I think about, Tom, is blended learning. And so we've really uh, tried to personalize as much as we can in some schools. And and um, and, and so blended is, is a, a big deal here with m- many of our teachers and principals thinking about how to meet those individual student needs. And of course, tech plays a huge uh, role in the blended learning environment. Um, so that's that's how I would lift that up. It's a, it's a good day when it's a blended day. You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, and I'm Tom Vanderark. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by Dr. Scott Murray. He's the superintendent in Ector County. That's Odessa, Texas. Scott, Odessa is about halfway between Dallas and El Paso, or Dallas and Juarez, really, right? It, it is. That's exactly right. The heart of the Permian Basin. Yes, Permian Basin, the uh, world's leader in gas and oil production. Do you on your on your district dashboard? Do you have the price of West Texas Intermediate? Is that a key economic indicator? That's right. Of course, we do. That's exactly right. That's yeah, a lot of fun. Um, definitely, yeah, gas and oil and Friday night lights. Tom, you can't forget that. Uh, we are well known for for Friday night lights. Uh, Odessa was, um, and, and Hector County specifically was uh, inspiration for that that great movie and and TV series. Scott, um, you're you're really a a hero of ours at uh, at, at getting smart. You've had a great education leadership career um, as a teacher and a principal, but. A couple times along the way, you, you stepped into ed tech leadership roles, and I, I wanted to explore those with you. Uh, you mentioned blended learning a few minutes ago. Um, you started teaching in North Carolina um, back in the 90s. You were sort of the beginning of the blended learning days, right? That's good. That's right. Yeah, I started uh, my teaching career in 1988 um, in the mountains of Western North Carolina. I was a middle school, high school math and science teacher. Yes. And tech played a really powerful role in those early years. You know, that's when uh, the Internet was coming of age. You know, it started out as a green screen phenomenon. And then suddenly uh, multimedia was added. And, and I remember as a teacher bringing multimedia computers into the classroom with kids in the early 90s and beginning to create um, opportunities uh, for kids doing projects using multimedia. So those are my early days as a teacher many years ago. Right at the beginning of um, Blended, it, you, you made the, the shift to Florida as an instructional technology specialist. What, what was it about that position? And I, I guess what, what had... Uh, had, had caught your eye 
in in ed tech that um, created that interest? Yeah, so it really started um, as I was a teacher. Um, you know, kids at the really at every level n- need a hook. Many times, just the fact that they have to go to school doesn't incentivize kids to want to be there enough. And and so I discovered um, as a teacher that technology was a powerful hook uh, in 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 the hands and minds of kids. Um, and then in in 1995, um, the Walt Disney Company uh, was creating. Uh, they were building a town called Celebration. In Central Florida, and a part of that town was going to be a kindergarten through twelfth grade public school, and and they were going to be state of the art from a technology perspective, and I wanted to be a part of that, and so I remember I went through the application process, flew down for an interview, and I applied to be a teacher, um, but after the interview, they offered me a different kind of position. They said, "How would you like to lead the technology vision for this school?" And I said, "Absolutely." Um, and so I spent 11 years in Central Florida working in Disney's Celebration School, really uh, working with a team of people to create the technology vision and then implement that in uh, in the lives and minds of, of the kids and families in that community. Was that a, an early one-to-one school? It was. And Tom, you may or may not remember, but that's when the Apple E-Mate was first introduced um, a long time ago. In fact, Steve Wozniak came to... Uh, celebration and introduced brought it with him, um, and then we gave every student um, an Apple E-Mate, um, and this was again in the mid mid to late nineties, um, and so that that Newton operating system was the first one to one you know device that we had for kids, um, and then we quickly switched to a clamshell device uh, for students using the uh, the Macintosh operating system. But yes, that was that was one to one in the late nineties. So after, um, what was it, 10 years there in Florida? It was, 11 years in Florida, and then left to go to Charlotte Mecklenburg schools. So Charlotte Mecklenburg was really by the the mid-2000s, I think, recognized nationally for innovation. And just north of Charlotte Mecklenburg, it was a, a famous little district that uh, was on the map for blended learning. Do you remember what that was? Oh, I, I, I do. I remember. Uh, <laughs> I remember learning a lot. Um, in fact, I remember being in Charlotte, and yes, literally uh, thirty minutes up the road, north of Charlotte, um, was um, Mark Edwards and the district that he ran. Um, and, and they were able to run. They did a lot of running um, in a very positive direction. So we, as a large district, learned um, a lot from Mark and, and his early work with technology and integration and just the, the powerful effect that he had um, on the profession. Scott, I remember visiting about that. When you started uh, visiting, Mark uh, did a big summer blended learning conference that, uh, that a lot of us went to. And that he involved all of his teachers and um, and administrators. I, I just appreciated his open leadership, sort of inviting us all to learn alongside them. Yeah, I, I, I do too. I remember um, when I went to Charlotte in 2007 um, and I was an area superintendent, but I ended my tenure in Charlotte as the chief information officer. And one of the chief information officers in the state uh, that I learned a lot from was the chief information officer in Mark's school system. 
Um, and so his name was Scott as well. And so we we learned a lot. From, I, I really gleaned a lot of his expertise and and kind of took some of their really great ideas and tried to create, uh, replicate that in, uh, in the city of Charlotte. That role was a relatively new one, even in big districts, having a chief information officer. They'd been around in business for for 20 years, but I think you were among the first of, of the big districts to have a CIO. Is, is that really the beginning of sort of big data and education? And w- w- do you remember what your priorities were there? Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. It was the shift. I, and I don't know if it's much of a shift, but the, with the business side of the house was still critically important. I mean, all of the those business systems, even today, still run and have to be healthy. Um, but the new opportunity was to think about instructional technology and and how those two um, systems could come together as one. Um, and that's what we created in, in Charlotte was the business side of the house and the instructional technology side of the house working together to empower students and teachers to do some really good work. Um, and so at, at that time, it was, again, putting a device in the hands of kids. This was back in you know, 2011, 2012, building a learning management system, uh, creating a sustainable LMS, um, buying digital content, you know, in the in the early 2000s. And so uh, a lot of good work there from a large system perspective uh, to put in place systems that supported what teachers and kids needed to do in the classroom. So, Scott, you, you spent a few years um, as a deputy in Fulton in uh, Atlanta and then became superintendent in Spring Branch. Um Spring Branch is a really well-known, high-functioning, innovative western suburb of Houston. Um, that was probably one-to-one when you got there. It uh, it was not. Uh, no, they they were not. So the, the district was. It's definitely a good to great uh, scenario in um, in Spring Branch. High-quality district. Great leaders. Great teachers. Uh, great community support, um, really a, a plum district. And for this new superintendent, it was a great place for me to learn the role. Um, the board of the board of, of education there really helped me grow and develop into a superintendent. So I appreciate them for that. Um, but innovation was the opportunity, uh, not only in technology, but in just in school design, the way we thought about um, the role of, of kids. And so our focus on personalization um, as a school system really took us down um, a, an exciting pathway for kids as we considered, you know, what data systems need to be in place to provide great information for teachers and students. Um, you know, what from a technology and system perspective, what tools and resources need to be in place to empower teachers to do great things with students um, and then how do you organize a school so that it considers the individual needs of kids rather than just holistically, uh, let's take those kids apart one at a time and understand how we organize around them. And so it was a lot of fun there to redesign the way we do school. The district is is known for some of the options that uh, that you and others have, have helped to create. And I wonder if there's a link between that and technology. Does, does technology... And its ability to personalize, its ability to 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 um, create and support pathways. Does it, by its nature, um, I- encourage more options for learners? Absolutely, um, and, and I've seen that in such a variety of ways. Again, when we think about personalizing for kids and and creating individual, unique experiences, um, I think technology empowers teachers. Uh, to create these opportunities for kids 
Um, and so a, a blended learning classroom, you know, that is tech enabled, um, kids have experiences and learning opportunities that, that they could never have when a teacher is leading a whole group of, of 25 kids at the same time. And, and so, you know, I, um, software that is adaptive to the learning needs of kids and kind of grows with the student and pushes students in, in a direction that they need to go. Technology that allows kids to have experiences outside of the four walls um, of a classroom. All of those opportunities, you know, technology brings to kids that before tech, you know, we, we just didn't have those opportunities. And so, yeah, I, it, it's, it's a powerful tool when used correctly in the learning environment. Scott, about four years ago, uh, you you went from a a fairly affluent suburban district to uh, Odessa, to Ector County. Uh, That, I think, came with, it was a comparable size district, but one with a lot more challenges. Is that fair? Oh, absolutely. And so I, um, so Ector County ISD in 2019, again, located in West Texas, about 33,500 kids um, we, the, this district was struggling um, academically quite a bit. In fact, a half of the schools in the district were rated D or F um, by the state of Texas, with 16 of those schools being F-rated schools. So the district was in an academic crisis, and there was an emergency happening here. Um, and, uh, and at that point, you know, I, I was ready to, to take on um, a, a different kind of opportunity and, uh, and really fell in love with um, the the options that existed in this environment. I discovered that this community wanted better for their district. The school board wanted better for the kids that they were serving. And they were ripe um, to to, um, really change the the way that they were doing business because it wasn't working. Um, And so I've had been here almost four years now and have truly loved um, every minute. Today, we're very different. You know, we're a B-rated district in Texas. Uh, We've had a lot of academic progress and success um, but it's been hard. There's, it's a lot of hard work, and um, and but very proud of the of the team and and what what this community has been able to do for its kids. Well, you only had about seven or eight months before the pandemic kicked in. Um, did, did you do some of the right things to get ready? Yeah, you know the the interesting thing, Tom, is that before the pandemic, we we uh, put a strategic plan in place that was already taking us down some very interesting pathways. And so the district did not have a learning management system. And so we were already in the process of, of bringing aboard an LMS. Uh, we were already in the process of thinking about how we could leverage much more effectively the tools of technology. And so some of this work was early um, and then the pandemic hit and we, we were not ready for the pandemic to hit. You know, I don't think anybody was, um, but because of some of the early work that we had already done, we, we perhaps, uh, we're able to uh, survive um, and in some cases even thrive in the pandemic and, and and maybe others weren't able to do that. So I can't say that I had a crystal ball. It was just preparing the right work. Um, it just so happens that technology was going to be a, 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 an integral piece of of the pandemic. Scott, I, I thought about you a lot during the, the pandemic. Uh, there, there were a lot of us by 2019, um, we had declared victory on Nationally, we were pretty close to one-to-one status. Uh, we were pretty close to having every school in America wired, and we thought, "There we are. You know, we, we've made the investment we need to make, and we're 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 good to go." Now we just keep getting better at blended learning. The pandemic taught us um, 
that about 20 million American households didn't have adequate um, broadband access. And I think you, you found in uh, the different parts of Hector County that it was really a severe and challenging problem. Is that fair? It was. Um, so we discovered quickly that 39% of our families, um, really 39% of our students didn't have access to broadband in their homes. Um, and but two primary reasons. One, uh, financially, they couldn't afford it. Um, and then two, um, some parts of our school system are a bit more rural than others. And so some of our families, regardless of money, they simply, there was nothing for them to attach to, no fiber, uh, no no cable, nothing for them to utilize um, to access the internet. And so we went to work on that um, because those kids at that point didn't have access to education. We actually were printing paper packets and delivering paper packets to these families uh, for weeks until we were able to connect them. And, and this is where the SpaceX opportunity came from. Again, realizing that some of our families lived in places that there were zero options. Um, we reached out to uh, to SpaceX and knew that they were beta testing uh, their Starlink satellite technology. And we asked, hey, we're a school district that has a need. And, um, and so we became the, the first school district in the country to partner with them uh, to bring their high-speed broadband to families. And we started with 90 families in the west part of our county. And, and today, fast forward, we have hundreds of families that now have access um, through Starlink, uh, the SpaceX piece, uh, to high-speed broadband in their home. And their speed is faster than my speed in my own house. And so it's a pretty incredible technology. So you you weathered the pandemic. A lot of us nationally just applauded the work that, that you and, and others did. Um, but how would you describe things today? You mentioned this at the at the outset of blended learning, but what, what does that uh, what does that mean in uh, Odessa on a on a regular school day? Are, are most of your classes now on an LMS? Are you using predominantly digital instructional materials? Um, how are your teachers utilizing EdTech today? Yeah, so technology because it is all you know, every day there are new opportunities. Um, I would say in our system that we continue to grow and learn and are still in the, the developmental phase. Today in ECISD, every student has a device of their own. Um, all of our families and kids have access to high-speed internet access in their homes. Um, we have an active LMS and we have had for two and a half, almost actually almost three years now uh, that our teachers and students are using pre-K through 12th grade. Um, most all of our content is digital. Uh, we still have some printed materials, but the printed materials we have are also replicated in a digital format. So kids have access in a way that's appropriate um, for, for them. Um, we have incredible data systems that um, provide um, really rich data to our, our, um, our teachers and our students and our families. We adopted the EdFi standard um, right as I came in. That was one of the back-end changes that we made. Everything that we have on the back-end is going to be interoperable. And so that means that we needed to exit uh, some of our um, 
legacy systems and then bring aboard systems that were all EdFi compliant. And so the fact that we are interoperable on the back end uh, really empowers our teachers on the front end and kids on the front end uh, to have data that actually talks to each other and, and can be delivered seamlessly to kids and teachers in our own system. And so we've done a lot of back-end work um, during the pandemic and, and to today that have empowered our teachers and kids to, to have access to some pretty cool um, learning opportunities. To, to what extent do you, um, your students, particularly in high school, um, use any online learning? Do you use that at all to expand course choice what, what's your take on online today? Yeah, so we, we've, um, we've backed off a little bit of our online learning. Again, part of it was because we had to go so quickly during the pandemic um, that, like many others, we also tripped and fell and realized, whoa, we're, we're going to do this right and well. Um, so we do partner with the University of Texas in providing uh, some really interesting um, online um, curricular choices to our high school students. Um, our teachers and co-teach uh, with a university professor and some of those University of Texas courses. Um, and so that's a win for kids because we're able to offer some things that we normally couldn't offer. But it's also great professional learning on the part of our teachers. And so that's a piece uh, that we offer. And then our local um, college and uh, technical school provides some online options for kids as well. A bit more in a blended space. So some face-to-face -face as well as blended um, environments in, in that secondary um, environment. We do not currently offer any virtual programming, pure virtual, for elementary or middle school students. Uh, while they might experience blended, uh, nothing is 100% virtual currently at the elementary and secondary level. Scott, you've made talent development a, a real priority there, um, as well as leadership development. Um, t tell us about that and sort of if and how um, te technology is playing a role. Yeah. So the number one factor that influences, really increases student achievement is the teacher. And when I came in 2019, uh, this district had an 18% teacher vacancy rate. And so the, the teacher crisis issue, the shortage issue had, had hit this district long before it has hit other places in our country. Um, and, and that 18% vacancy rate had been in place for years. Um, so strategically, we made a lot of investments in human capital work uh, from the very beginning because I had to do something to address that vacancy issue. Today, we have a 1% vacancy rate, um, and we've done a lot over the last three and a half years to create that change. Everything from compensation, we have a different type of compensation system in our organization. Uh, teachers today can make over $100,000 a year. Um, in, in just by being a teacher in this system, you, you must be an effective teacher, uh, but that compensation certainly helps us attract and retain. Uh, we do a lot of, uh, we have a lot of teacher pipelines, a lot of development work with five different universities in our area. Um, <clears throat> we operate our own educator preparation program. And so technology does play a role there, offers some virtual courses. And then development, um, not only the pipeline, but just developing our own teachers. Um, so I'm a national board certified teacher and um, we are growing and developing um, a large cadre of national board certified teachers uh, because the research is clear. National board certified teachers are more effective than those that are not. We've seen academic results that indicate that. Um, and so we provide 
one-on-one virtual coaches with all of our national board certified teacher candidates. And so we connect them with um, national board teachers across the country. And then they have that virtual coaching opportunity right here in the city of Odessa without having to uh, purchase airplane tickets uh, for people to travel back and forth. And so kind of leveraging tech in there. And of course, tech is embedded um, in, in all of our professional learning. We've really tripled the size of our instructional technology folks to support blended uh, pre-K through 12th grade. Compared to where you'd like to be, where, where are the gaps in ed tech? When you think about your tech stack, what are the apps that really tick you off that are just not where they need to be? Um, so I'll start with the data system. I, I We are in the process of, of, of embedding, um, really, in my opinion, the next layer of, of data so that our kids can have access to more of their own personal information um, and then manipulate, if you will, their own data about themselves. So I'm excited to empower more of our kids with great data. I, I think that we, we, not only we organizationally, but we as an industry uh, could do a better job. Uh, part of that is interoperability. You know, we have yet to embrace common standards. Um, and that makes data sharing, data exchange just difficult for kids and teachers. And so that's a, a big body of work. So shame on the industry for being uh, too, uh, having way too many walls and making this work difficult. Um, it, it should be uh, m- much better. Um, I, I still, um, Tom, go back to something that we missed a long time ago, and that is um, our, our opportunity to, uh, to create digital citizens. Um, I, I still think today that we have many children and adults that cannot behave appropriately um, in an online environment because we have not equipped them with the right tools. And, and so I continue to, to preach that um, and then embed systems that help us help our adults uh, leverage these tools more effectively and, and our kids as well. I appreciate that. I, I'm afraid... Attention harvesting has gotten better, faster than um, our ability to teach um, digital literacy. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I, I was listening to a, uh, a TED Talk that um, Sal Khan did this morning. Mm-hmm. I guess he gave it a couple of days ago, but um, he's almost giddy about um, Conmigo, the, the new... Um, generative AI chatbot built into to Khan Academy. Do, do you share his enthusiasm for um, the the power of AI in the in the path forward? I, I, I do. I, th- I think it actually creates some exciting opportunities. And so one of the um, things that we've done over the last several years in our own system, and really this is in response to the pandemic, is, is tutoring. Um, I, I had a large number of students that needed um, one-on-one tutoring. We don't have those individuals that live in our community. And so we've had to embrace virtual tutoring um, in our system. So last year, 6,000 students had uh, their own one-on-one tutor in a virtual environment. This year, we have 4,750 students um, that have virtual tutoring. And so when I think about uh, the power of AI embedded in, in that, I think it is interesting. Uh, we've discovered that our elementary kids really need to see a face. And so their tutoring is much more interactive and engaging from a human perspective. But it's our, our middle school and high school students that prefer a chat-based environment. And so to me, that is a, a real opportunity uh, for AI to kind of lunge into that space, at least initially, to help us do a better job um, with, with, with meeting the needs of kids. But man, Tom, I, I think that uh, we're on the cusp 
of, of, of some incredible transformation in, in the way that we educate kids because of artificial intelligence. Um, I, I think sky's the limit. I want to ask you, uh, this is a hard kind of a school board question. Um, do, do, you, do you have a sense that we've achieved any return on investment from uh, our investment in, in tools and apps and in broadband? And, and if so, how, how and where do you see the, the benefits, the payoffs of, of all the money we've spent on ed tech? Yep. And so I, we, we have academic data that supports our blended um, investments in, in this district today. And so absolutely check the box. Um, has every investment paid off? Absolutely not. I think it is the, the types of investments that we make in technology. Um, but a whole lot of this, Tom, is, is the fidelity of implementation um, if we are not implementing um, effectively these investments that we're making in tool sets, in professional learning, in kind of taking our teachers um, on this journey, that then, then we will fail our students. And certainly we have many examples of that in this industry, uh, but I think there are far greater um, examples of, of success. And I would, again, lift up the work of, of Blended. Clearly, when kids are performing at a higher level, because of their blended learning experiences than kids in in, in uh, classrooms that do not have that experience, then we know that that investment is making a difference. Um, and then when kids are owning their own learning, again, just accessing dashboards, kids, you know, understanding themselves and how they're growing and developing. Uh, when kids are empowered with their own knowledge or their own information, they, they grow better. They own their learning. So. Scott, let me finish with a pathway question. Um, technology is changing Workforce requirements um, globally. Um, I, I'm I'm sure it's having some impacts in the in the Permian Basin, but how how is the way technology is changing the workforce? How is it um, causing you to think differently about post secondary pathways for um, for Hector County learners? So in, in the state of Texas today, 70% of the jobs that are created in our own state require some form of post-secondary credential. And that's not always a four-year degree, but it is something. It could be a two-year degree, a technical certificate. And so for us, that means that we must ensure that at least 70% of our students are gaining that post-secondary experience. Um, I live in a, a community that 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 is primarily a blue collar community. And so a lot of our moms and dads go to work in the, in the gas and oil fields. And so their work is incredibly dangerous um, and it is incredibly strenuous and, and rigorous work. But we're seeing even in that industry that technology is taking the place um, of some of that manual labor that used to exist. And so if our kids are not ready for that, then they will miss out on the opportunities that their parents had or even have in, in today's environment. And so we see in this, in our space, in this blue collar environment uh, that jobs are changing. And so that forces us as an educational institution to change the way that we prepare kids. Uh, Scott, you, you've had quite a journey as an ed leader. Can, can you um, recommend this uh, path to, to young people? I, I have the greatest joy every day uh, waking up. I love this job. I just finished, Tom, my 35th year um, in this business. And whether teacher or um, principal or chief information officer, superintendent, whatever the role 
that I've had. I've thoroughly enjoyed every role in um, in, in the education business. This is uh, this is more than just a job. It is absolutely a calling, and and I would encourage anyone that is passionate about children, that has a strong moral compass. Um, and a desire to mold and shape the future, this is the profession for you. So yeah, start supporter of, of education and all that it is um, and how it prepares tomorrow's future. We're talking to Dr. Scott Murray, the superintendent in Ector County. Um, Scott, we really appreciate the way you've been leading and learning out loud. Uh, you, you, you not only have led Hector County, but uh, you've been a great advocate for public education, and we appreciate the way you uh, so um, freely share what you're learning with the region uh, and the country. It's just made a, a big difference. So thanks for leading. Thanks for learning and doing it out loud. No, I appreciate it, Tom. We do this work together in public education, so it's nice to have a lot of colleagues around the country. We're all in this work together. Thanks for being with us, and uh, thanks to our producer, Mason Pasha, for making this all possible. Until next week, keep leading, keep learning, and keep innovating for equity. Thanks for tuning in to the Getting Smart podcast today. We want this podcast to be actionable, insightful, and a great way to learn about what's next in learning. In order to stay on the cutting edge, we need people in the field to tell us what they're hearing, what they're wanting, and what they're needing to learn more about. Got a topic or a guest in mind? Send your recommendations to me, Mason at gettingsmart.com. And if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to leave a review in Apple Podcasts or subscribe wherever you listen. Feel free to share the podcast on social media using the hashtag GSPodcasts. Thanks so much.